morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. We on now? Yeah. All right, folks. We had an interesting start to the show with not being on air. <laughs> and are we on air now, Tom? Are we sure? And Gary Lamaster, are you there? I don't hear you from Minnesota. Ah, there he is. I'm micing up a tiny bit there. Uh, well, we have a show where we look back over the year and. Uh, through all our technical difficulties, we're going to give it a shot. And um, the three of us each have a different topic we want to topic, talk about. Um, I think Karen wants to talk about education. I want to talk about an interesting article in the New York Times, which sort of explains some of the problems that Biden and other Democratic presidents have had, like Obama. And um, Gary is going to start the show off. Uh, what's up, Gary? Um, well, first, I'd like to uh, to acknowledge that uh, you know we've done this uh, annual review every year that uh, we've been on the air, I think, and uh, I'd like to point out that uh, this year we're missing two of our longtime contributors that I think we should acknowledge: is Dick Searle and, and Klaus uh, von Studerheim. Um, it's uh, it's it's been a, a a sad year to uh, to lose those two guys, and, and they'll be a long mess. But, uh, anyway, I I chose uh, for my topic, you know, the I think the story of the year. You know, I, I looked at uh, there there are a variety of things you could choose uh, from the continuing pandemic, the trial of uh, Derek Chauvin and Kim Potter, the uh, the, the two officers. Um, the uh, January 6th insurrection and uh, Trump's big lie that the 2020 election was stolen. Um, there's also another story I thought that, that uh, kind of flew underneath the radar that uh, that has been quite large, uh, and that's the Pandora Papers uh, in a series of stories by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. But... Uh, Anyway, I went with uh, January 6th because I, I don't think there's a bigger story. Um, PolitiFact chose uh, the lies about January 6th and its significance as their lie of the year. Um, the uh, and, and it really stems from Trump's, you know, uh, continuing uh, claim that the election was stolen. I mean, prior to each of his presidential elections, he... Uh, he uh, basically told people that uh, the elections were rigged unless he won. And uh, so after the 2020 election, if, you know, just to, to review, um, he lost 61 of 62 lawsuits challenging the election results in court. Um, the elections in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania were recounted and recounted and audited some numerous, numerous times, even after no significant voting fraud was found, uh, you know, the, the few examples they did find actually involved uh, Trump voters. Um, 
But even after that, Trump and a majority of Republicans uh, uh, refused to accept the fact that Biden won. Um, and even though Biden won the popular vote by more than 7 million votes and the electoral vote by more than 70, a recent poll by uh, Rightwatch um, found that only 27% of Republicans believe Biden was the rightful winner of the 2020 election. And uh, kind of a, a, along with that, only 59% of Americans now have confidence in our elections. Uh, most of that's stemming from, from Trump's big lie and the, uh, the Republicans who continue to perpetuate it. Um, only 64% of Americans believe that everyone who is legally qualified to vote can do so. So um, it, it's just, you know, they've, they've really eroded um, Americans' faith in, in our elections, which is one of the, well, the cornerstone of democracy. Um, the, um, and, and I would submit that, that all of this was the result of a decades-long plan by the GOP to gain and maintain power through any means available, including deceit, lies, even the threat of violence. Um, they've become really astounding bullies. Um, you know, for decades, they've, they've created fear and enabled the NRA and gun manufacturers to, to inundate our country with military-style weaponry, um, not even uh, the, the murders at Sandy Hook of, of uh, murders of, of uh, grade school children could uh, change uh, gun laws or get people serious about it. They used religion to paint themselves as righteous and, and to paint Democrats as demonic, um, culminating in the belief of QAnon uh, that Democrats are pedophiles who have created a child rat trafficking ring. Um, since the 70s, the, the Republican Party has uh, fomented distrust and hatred of, of the uh, democratically elected government of the United States. Since the 80s, right-wing radio hosts and Fox News have perpetuated that hatred, especially uh, aimed against Democrats. Um, and then uh, along came Donald Trump, who enabled the, the racists and those that, uh, that didn't believe in our government. Uh, to reveal themselves as never before. Um, and, and I think, you know, I've, I've read a number of very compelling articles that, that, uh, tie this to, to the belief that we're very close to, uh, to a, a, a civil war. Um, we're, we're already in a, a non-shooting war, but it's, uh, but, uh, their belief is that we're very close to a, to an actual violent war. Um, so, um, it, uh, I think it's, it, it's just the, the most frightening thing that, uh, the, uh, the U.S., uh, uh, could face, uh, uh, a lot of you know, organizations that the CIA relies on for information about democracies around the world, um, have, uh, downgraded American democracy from, from a 10, the, the prime example of a, of a great democracy to, uh, now we, we rank it, uh, at five by their criteria, which, uh, puts our, uh, our democracy in, in serious danger. Um, 
So that's that's pretty much my uh, my thought. There's you know you could go along with that. There's you know there's a a, a huge movement amongst uh, the uh, the most extreme uh, right wing to uh, um, boost uh, untraceable ghost guns. The uh, the number of those guns that have have come out into uh, into uh, the hands of the public, primarily the hands of conservatives who are fearful that that the government is going to take their guns away. So they want guns that can't be traced. And, and a lot of those who are buying them are the the uh, most extreme of, of the Trump supporters and the anti-government, you know, believing people. Um, you know, this, this past... Christmas season, you know, the buying shopping season prior to, to Christmas, suddenly I started getting a, 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 a lot of emails from a company trying to sell me what effectively are ghost guns, you know, mm. polymer parts to, to semi-automatic weapons, um, and then um, they sell the, the kits of the metal, well, uh, you know, parts that you need to, to put it together, and you can go on YouTube and and a bunch of other uh, uh, social media uh, sites and and find videos on how to put your uh, your ghost gun together. So well, that's just a new go wrong. the new iteration of, of of not controlling guns and and it's uh, I think you're right. It's driven by this paranoia about government seizing weapons, and we've been listening to it since I was a kid, you know, and that was a while ago. Jet-booted thugs that are jet-booted. Uh, soldiers are going to come and take your guns away every time a, you're somewhere where a Democrat is in charge. Every time we hear the same thing. And uh, what I guess the last time the Democrats did anything nationally about guns was Clinton um, did extreme magazines, really long magazines, so you can kill a whole lot of people. Um, um I remember one of the guys walked in when I was uh, uh, driving Jeeps, and he had two guns and two bandoliers. And um, uh, I said to him, uh, and these are, these are real guns. This was at a Christmas party. <laughs> he brought, he brought, and I said to him, uh, you're a really good shot, are you? And he looked at me, and then he realized that I was giving him a hard time because he had all those bullets and all those guns, and he probably had a couple hidden, and and uh, he got really mad at me. and wouldn't speak to me for a couple of months. But um, yeah, every every time, uh, Gary. Let's let's go to Karen about uh, education issues because Betsy DeVos is gone. Karen, she's she well, she's yes. she's out of office. Yeah, well, it's not so much her well, her ideas are, are obviously still around since she's always been a, a proponent of spending. You know. Uh, tax dollars on supporting private schools, but sort of it's sort of what's been going on in school boards this year, which even relates back to sort of what Gary talked about. We've all seen, you know, extreme uh, public involvement in school boards, often around ideas which really have no basis in reality, critical race theory, which is not actually taught in schools. But it's also been some of the same things we've watched for the last year and a half of schools, you know, whether the school has a mask policy or no mask policy, whether they talk about vaccinations for children. It's all become very politicized. And part of this is, you know, organized 
politicization of things where the the ideas it, it, it seems to me relates back to things we've heard Republicans talk about. If you want to take over the government, you need to start down at the basic level of you know city councils, school boards, all of those small local boards, which are usually nonpartisan elections. And, you know, get your people on those boards and then have them run, you know, the next level up and the next level up and the next level up. Because in Arizona, there's even a bill to make school boards a partisan election. It would just be school boards, not city councils. But this, you know, sort of an idea which, you know, that you could need, you need to know whether your school board members are Republicans or Democrats. And some of this opposition is, you know, some degree organized. It's, it's people and groups going from school board to school board in various you know communities around the country t- raising these issues, and it's sort of a it's sort of sort of a perfect storm of things which tend to rile up at the school board level all over the all over the world. You know, start with sex education, which often has a religious component of people opposed to it as to whether it's the family's job or or whether it's you know ungodly to teach kids about contraception. You add, you know, those in where some of these other issues, you know, gender issues. So you've got issues that are sort of religiously based issues now that are politically based. And it's sort of all come together to sort of make school boards the place to, you know, go out and express your anger with society to some degree. Because there are often things not really going on in your local school board. And we've seen then other Republican groups uh, sort of take this as a chance. Let's get these people and let's start to to go back to then train these people to run for school board and then to run for city council. And and we all know, you know, that's over decades. The Republican Party has done a better job than the Democratic Party in many kinds of looking at the fact that these small local elections really matter. You know, that we you know, sometimes as Democrats, we focus our attention on who our senator is or who the president is and not on who's in our city council or who's at our state legislature which we all really need to turn around and focus at, you know, because it goes with all the things we've, you know, we could talk about, you know, the fact that all of these voting bills to prevent voter suppression aren't going anywhere in Congress. And they're all in reaction to the fact that I saw somewhere, I think it's 20 some states this year passed new laws to make it harder to vote in some way. And it's all aimed at, at getting the right people to vote, which is, you know, in a, in a, on the legal side, some of what Gary's talking about is, is sort of fear among people that, again, that they that to keep the right people in office, you know, you need to you need to buy a gun. Now there's some of this, you know, you need to go down to your local level and and a very organized way run candidates for office that believe with you. There was an article, uh, Karen, in the New York Times about Enid, Oklahoma, which is fairly near where where I'm from about these organized people showing up all wearing red shirts and raging against mask mandates and a whole bunch of other stuff. They caught the actual school board members who were pretty apolitical by surprise. Mm-hmm. They just sort of ambushed them massively and and uh, took control of the whole talk about things. Is that going on sort of nationwide? Is it's, that it? It's, nation, it's nationwide. It's sort of all across the nation. In, in in many places, uh, you know, the response, and of course, a lot of people at that lowest level, let's say school board members, you know, uh, local boards, city councils, aren't used to people. You know, they're used to people coming and telling them they're doing the wrong thing. Right. But they're not used to people then cornering them in the po- in the parking lot or sending them a, a text that says, "I know where you live. You better be careful." So it's it's gone beyond the sort of you know the school boards doing the wrong thing. There have been school boards in the past in the country whirled up and involved in 
court cases, let's say about uh, teaching evolution, but that's usually been sort of peaceful. As far as you know, a uh, hundred parents may show up angry, but they're you know they're not taking it beyond you know the count beyond the room. Now that seems to have spilled out to the fact: if I'm angry at the school board or I'm angry at whoever the elected official is, I should go and, and make some you know veiled threats or unveiled threats on social media. It's not just a matter of showing up as a citizen and saying I disagree with what you did and I elected you, so I'm going to unelect you next time. It's I disagree with what you're doing, and you better beware. And it's uh, um, yeah, because that comes with the job, sort of yeah. right. But the extremism that we're out. seeing is just amazing. Yeah. Gary? I should point out that, that uh, one of the surveys that I referenced uh, uh, in my portion was that, that uh, showed that 17% of Republicans believe that violence may be necessary to, to change the, uh, the government and to change the culture. So it fits in with these threats at the uh, school board level. And it also ties in with, with uh, Steve's interview uh, in the show last week. Uh, about uh, you know Charles Koch's belief that uh, his political donations and, and political activity weren't as effective as, as he wanted them to be, so he tried to uh, to take that uh, his you know politics into the uh, education system. I think one of the things, Gary, that sort of struck me was the realization that what was going on with the parano- uh, paranoia. Uh, QAnon, far right wing extremism on a national level was also uh, going on here in, in Sedona. And that was the sort of revelation that the same kind of thing is, is going on. And um, I think Karen hit on something that people never show up at the school board to tell you you're doing a good job, hardly, right? Hardly. Uh, and now in response in some school boards, I'm reading articles where people are now showing up. Because they read in the newspaper or they heard that, you know, uh, and teachers and uh, people in the PTA and people like that who are supportive of what their schools are doing are now starting to show up in some of these districts that have had these really contentious meetings to say, hey, I live here too, I vote, and the school board is uh, school is doing the right thing, and to talk about that in reaction because I think this negativity caught a lot of school boards by surprise because that was not. In some districts have always been contentious, but in many districts, you didn't have 50 people show up all with the same complaint. Right. Yeah. Sometimes all wearing the same color red yeah. and and doing it. Yeah. Um, I guess the question is: yeah, school boards are sort of used to be sort of a civilized thing with a lot of debate. Um, but the articles I'm reading suggest, like you're saying, that people are showing up and they're threatening beyond the meeting. In other words, they're they're threatening school board members. And the other thing is that you mentioned was the idea of pol- politicizing school boards and turning it into partisan uh, contests. Why would they push for that? Because they think they can win. Um, I think they can win, and I think part of it is is this, you know. Ma- uh, Somewhat an idea, let's recruit people to run at the lowest level so we can then have a bench to people run at the highest level, you know, from sort of within a a more of a party type structure and some of these political pack type groups that are looking specifically at creating a bench for higher offices and 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 things. And the rest of it just seems to be it. Some of it's a reaction. I think that's more political things have been going on for a while, you know, the changes in society. You know, you read on some of these the social things that are going on, you read 
uh, polls that say, you know, majorities of people, 60 percent plus, depending on how you write questions, believe that abortion should be legal in some cases. They believe that that you know, contraception should be available. They believe that everybody of all colors, races, whatever, should have an equal chance in society. You know, majorities of people believe in these things. And I think some of those ideas is they be, you know, have become more prevalent. Throughout. So people Actually, are feeling like so they're, they're in minority so status. So some people feel like they're in minority status. One of the articles, and I, I was just reading, I think it was this month's Atlantic, somebody was doing some research on the people who attended the uh, rally uh, insurrection on January 6th. Yeah. And they were talking about the fact that in the past, some of these events that seemed to have been organized by these real right-wing groups, Proud Boys, 3%, whatever – tended to have a lot of people who themselves had had job loss or economic loss and different issues. And it was like these people who were disaffected personally and affected by something in the economy. And they were looking at the people that they could figure out who attended this one and came to the conclusion a lot of these people, they had jobs. They had money. They weren't hurting economically. You know, they, they, they had jobs that they could advance and they came from a slightly different economic background and they looked at them and that the researcher his comparison was that in counties where the percentage of white residents had been dropping there were more people that went to january 6th than in counties that were completely white and hadn't changed much which is including some rural counties where you think this happens that these were people from suburban areas other areas where the racial mix in your county was changing who came to January 6th, not the people you, you thought of as you know, crazy militia types living in the mountains of Montana. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to one thing you mentioned, which was um, critical race theory. CRT is this, the initials now the, of it. Is, is anybody in, as you know, any of the public schools in Arizona, grade schools, say, for, for example, high school and uh, middle schools, are anybody teaching critical race theory? Because there's a huge campaign against something that I wonder is it yeah. actually being done. Yeah, well, the critical race theory was like a high, uh, law school idea that you remove the legal barriers to segregation, Jim Crow laws, things like that. And that doesn't necessarily suddenly make you a society with no discrimination. So that on the legal sense, it was trying to have lawyers needed to look at society and there were that there were actual things that might hold a certain person back from advancing in society, even if they weren't legal. And they was trying to – an idea that, that people came up with that lawyers should look at this when they – involved in the justice system is how does the justice system treat people. And it, but it's sort of become now a catch-all phrase for any type of discussion of equity, and schools certainly have discussed equity. In, around the country, but they, you know, that's more a matter of, of every child should have whatever he needs to succeed. That just because a child has a certain color or is poor, which is usually the bottom underlying factor in all these issues, might need a little extra help to graduate from high school where the child whose parents are college educated with some money doesn't need the help. So it's all been conflated together and it comes down to the same idea that you see in some of these other it's like education's a zero sum game. If I give a if I am on the school board and I give a little extra help to the poor students in our neighborhood, I'm obviously somehow taking away from other students. And you hear that in a lot of talk about social programs. It's like there's a you know, finite amount of advancement in the world and if we do something to help one group of people we automatically are hurting another group of people which in most cases is not true 
I know, but that's really – it's not just conservatives that think that. Yeah. There's a lot of folks who see life as sort of a zero-sum yeah. game. If my group goes down, that group goes up. If that group yeah. goes up, my group goes down. I wanted to talk today, and, and Karen and, and Gary joined me in this, about an uh, article in the New York Times by Corey Robin, who we've interviewed on the show a few years ago. Uh, my joke is that uh, Corey uh, got too famous to come on our radio show in Arizona. But uh, in any case, he's written an interesting article. And uh, the Times is sort of strange. It has three different titles for it. But... The question that he asked is, Biden has achieved so much and done so much right. Why do we feel that he's been unsuccessful? Why is the Biden uh, regime, government uh, administration uh, uh, seen as so un- unsuccessful? And part of it is there's a lot of things he hasn't been able to do. Minimum wage, labor law reform, um Freedom for personal debt. There's some ways that you can help people who are in debt. Fossil fuel. So there's a lot of things that 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 Biden hasn't done. But according to uh, Corey uh, Robin, um, the unease with Biden lies elsewhere. There's a large, um, as large as his spending bills are. Almost nobody, right, left, center, believes they're enough to solve the actual problems. There's a feeling that whatever he does, he can't really solve the actual problems that are out there. Now, there's a, um, of course, a, a Supreme Court super uh, majority of the right, um, and there are these debilitating culture wars, like we were talking about with Karen, where critical race theory is just not being taught in the schools, and that we have this massive campaign against it being taught. I mean, Democrats and myself included are always sidetracked by the irrationality and the willingness of, of opponents to lie to such a great extent. I mean, it's it's truly amazing. Um, you have something that's not even being taught as to have this massive campaign against yeah. it. Well, so, the same thing on that. There is no voter fraud, and that's consumed exactly consumed the great Republican point. Party at, at state levels and things that you know, we have to change the law to prevent voter fraud and. We know there is no massive voter fraud. Yes. So what Robin talks about is an earlier um, political scientist uh, idea. And he talks about regimes that exist beyond the, the when a president is in. For example, uh, a good one is, is Eisenhower comes in. Eisenhower is at the end of the New Deal, and he's actually favorable to the New Deal. There's this famous letter to his brother where he can't believe anybody but a bunch of very stupid billionaires. He's very frank in his letter. Um, uh, Want to undo the, the New Deal. So um, uh, going back history, they say the Jeffersonian regime lasted from 1800. And... Um, the Jacksonian regime followed it from 1828 to 1860. Republicans dominated everything, all the discussion, all, everything from 1860 to 1932. And then you had the New Deal. And the New Deal lasted until really the Reagan ethos got in. So what you have is all our Democratic presidents, including Biden, are still living in a kind of conservative sea of ideas. Um, and so you see um, um, 
Jimmy Carter being bent to all kinds of deregulation, Clinton, the same kind of thing. Um, there is there is a truth that there that, you know, the American people really did not support permanent welfare for anybody. The, the, the undeserving poor have a lot of lack of sympathy in the United States and how that plays out is 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 hard to understand so clinton and for example is in a conservative sea so when liberals go back and criticize him now they're not looking at the ocean at the actual structure of the, of the old regime that he had to deal with same trade the people think less about carter obama had this weird thing where he got a couple of conservatives to tell him what to do one a democrat and one a republican um, and he just kind of seemed to have lost his nerve for a bit. So Biden, the question now is, is Biden. Um, the thing is that with, with, with Saunders and stuff, um, there's been a sort of sea change. Liberals have been on the defensive my whole life, basically, in politics and dealing with with all these conservative uh, ideas that dominate things. The free market is the only way you can go. Uh, you can't control guns. Um, uh, and a lot of ideas like uh, murderers must face execution, right? Um, the undeserving poor should not get any help. How that's defined, um, I don't know. Um and there are all these 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 things. Uh, um, the improvement situation for blacks you were talking about earlier, Karen, is 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 bad for whites. Uh, and so, eventually, the the regimes go brittle. And in this last election, unlike even a lot of people thought we were in a sea change with Obama, but what we saw was the Obama uh, uh, government, his administration was kind of swallowed by this conservative world out there. It's not that he didn't do a lot of great stuff. It's not that he didn't help people with the Affordable Care Act. But the meme that the Affordable Care Act was this terrible government interference kept it from being appreciated. So no matter how much good it did people over years, it was it was thought to be a really terrible thing. So the question now is there are these regimes, I call them ethos, a conservative ethos, liberal ethos. What's happening now? Biden got elected. Um, he was the most moderate of the Democratic candidates. He was the one that talked least about a sea change of of ideas and values and, and spending and everything else. But he also has done a tremendous amount of stuff right from from the get-go. The question is, where are we now? So what's happened, it seems to me, and this is my take and not uh, Corey Robbins, is that we're in a kind of transformative mode. Um, that's the, the thing they also talk about is institutional stickiness. And that means that it's getting more and more impossible to do anything in the United States with filibusters, a Supreme Court like this, and so forth and so on. The question is where we are. And what I see for the first time with the Biden's election is a very strong progressive liberal movement. But it's balanced by an almost equally strong conservative right-wing movement, which has moved over into extremely scary kind of conspiracy theories, 
Uh, Karen mentioned denial of, of the, the election results. We never seen in my lifetime, I've never seen Republicans deny election results like that. I mean, there's a little bit of it when Kennedy won. But uh, other than that, uh, things are really changing. So the question is where we are we now. Is Biden a kind of transformative uh, president or is he just kind of transitional? Are we trading water? So that's what I see, a rising liberal progressive movement, but one that didn't tip the scale. And just to, to go back. The Biden won handily, okay, and Gary just told you by, you know, what, 70 million votes or something. But it wasn't a tidal wave, and uh, the the Democrats lost seats in the House, and the Senate, uh, they gained seats just barely, so that they're trapped basically by two senators into a, to policies that they don't really agree with. So the question is, where are we now? Are we in a moment when things are really going to change that the this conservative ethos, this conservative regime, now the political science call it a regime, they don't mean exactly a government, they mean um, what I call an ethos or a sea or an ocean of ideas, a mean universe that that decides things. So the question now is is where are we? What's going to happen next? And you know, of course none of us really know. But uh, that's what I thought very interesting about Corey Robbins, the thing, is to understand Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, for example. Um, Donald Trump wanted to be really, really, really friendly with Russians, with Russia, and basically the Republican Congress stopped him. Right. Yeah. And he wanted to he wanted to do infrastructure stuff and the Republicans wouldn't do it. So he even he was bent by this Republican conservative memes that he didn't actually agree with and didn't run on. He didn't run on getting rid of Medicare or Social Security or cutting it back. But he was forced to consider those those ideas by the 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 echo of the last batch of ideas. So uh, while we've got a few minutes left, I'm tapping my watch. I wondered what you folks thought. Do you, do you think that this, what do we do when we have a, a system that's just sort of s- systemically biased against liberals, progressives, and Democrats, whether you're talking about House gerrymandering because they control Republicans control more states or whether you're talking about the Senate. Uh, Senate has two seats for every thing. So there's two seats in Wyoming and there's 400,000 people or whatever. And there's two seats in um, California. I haven't seen the latest statistic, but it's like that 36 million people. So that bias was built into the Constitution. It was built in to protect southern states. Um, and it was the only way they could put the Constitution together. But the effect of it is a system where I, what Republican has even won the popular vote for president? Democrats have won with Gore, I believe, and and so forth and so on. All of it, the Democrats keep winning um, popular vote, and yet – they, uh, someone like Bush becomes president, someone like Trump becomes president, even though Trump loses the, the popular vote by three million votes. So I guess I'll go to Gary first. I mean, where are we? What, what's going to happen next, Gary? Where are we in this, in this 
sea change of different regimes, of different ethos, are ideas really beginning to change? Um, probably not. Um, I'd, I'd point to, I think there are a lot of things that, that uh, lead to what you're talking about. I think a lot of it's structured because there's a, an abundance of power in the rural states, um, you know, that are low population, that uh, undermine the, the power of the, uh, of the more populous states. But I think that the, the whole, you know, conservative ethos that you're talking about is created by the media. And, and I think it's, in some cases, uh, uh, a planned use of the media to focus on fear and negativity, which are the, the more powerful uh, uh, emotions. Um, and, you know, like, like Karen said at the school board meeting, you, you never, you know, you never hear about the good things that, you know, the, that, uh, that you do. People don't come in and compliment you from, for doing something. But if you do something they don't like, you hear about it uh, in, you know, to a great degree. And I think ever since the Fairness Doctrine was was repealed in the 80s, that enabled uh, people like Rush Limbaugh and Fox News um, that could then feel free to conflate uh, their opinions with, with uh, news um, and focus on this drumbeat of, of fear that, the government is bad and is coming to take your guns away and is coming to, it's giving power to, to others. I think that has created this more than anything else. And with Biden, if I could just make one last point, I think, you know, they've, they've done research that found that, that Biden's, the, the press has treated Biden more negatively than, than they did Trump, even though Trump was a, you know, a, you know, considerable liar. Um, and did some horrible things, um, but they've still, you know, done more negative stories about Biden. His proposals and the bills that he's wanted to to get through, the media has has focused on the the most sensational part of it. Instead of talking about the benefits of those bills and how they're paid for, um, they focus on the overall cost over a ten year period. So when you hear a, a three trillion dollar bill, it, it, there's very little uh, reference to it being paid for, and there's almost no reference to that uh, three trillion dollars over ten years. Instead, uh, you know they they could focus on all of the good things it could do to to balance out power and 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 uh, ec- you know an equity of wealth and and so on. But but uh, the media chooses to even the, the so-called liberal media chooses to focus on the the, the uh, horse race aspect of it, whether or not it can get through Congress, and on the cost of it. Good and, point, Gary. Let's yeah. go to Karen. What's your take yeah. on all and, this? And on some of this too, as we've sort of let you know, sort of negative words take over the thing. Whenever they talk about like the bills, the child tax credit they talk about the cost of that everything is always an expense and a cost there's you know we need to flip the language you know and the media does this too is talk about talk about the and it, something as an investment not an expense you know if you're going to rent you know add a room to your house it's going to cost you money but you're thinking gee that's an investment i'm going to get money back and some of these things the child tax credit specifically that dropped you know take lifts kids out of poverty 
is an expense, but it's an investment. And there's, you, know, you can people, there's returns hard to calculate when you talk about social problems different than the cost of your house. But there's obvious returns on reducing the number of people living in poverty. You know, anybody can, you know, can sit there and can figure out if people are, are not poor and they have food to eat, you know, they, they're going to stay in school, they're going to get better educated, they get a better job when they grow up. You know, that, you, know, you can look and see that's better for the country. But we've talked so much on, the, on the, the cost of all these things and not on the sort of the return on investment. And I think that's, you know, that's Democrats, you know, get caught up in this in responding to those questions and need to, need to change the words that are used and talk about it. Like I said, talk about investment. Don't Pe- talk about cost. People refer to themselves as taxpayers, not citizens. Yeah. Why aren't we citizens mm-hmm. of America? Why, why is all this taxpayer stuff? Mm-hmm. That's a deliberate focus on the cost of everything, as mm-hmm. you're saying, rather than the effect of it. And you have to look at the, the New Deal and look at the impact. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have a violent revolution like happened in so many places. We didn't have a monstrously large Stalinist political party. We didn't have any of that because uh, the United States took action to improve things. In Johnson, we had the civil rights movement was in a, a desperate situation and and very, very angry people. But the, the great society mitigated a great yeah. deal of that and it actually improved people's lives. Yeah, in fact, yeah, basic things like Medicare. Yeah. You know, the existence of that, which was, you know, probably a Johnson era thing as a more than a you know, earlier New Deal thing. The effect of that on... The fact that that's probably a cause why people live longer today. I mean, it's all these sort of things. You know, you, yeah, no, the, yeah, you I'm sure that is. And, you don't retire and die. You retire and have a second life. <laughs> well, we're kind of running out of time. I, I want to encourage everybody to visit the uh, DOOR website. Um, it has a list of the stuff that they do. It Also, the DOOR office is now open um, for three or four days a week. It's a good place to check in. Um, as I understand it, Doors, you know, is in a hiatus now in terms of breakfast, but they'll start up again. Yeah, they, the, there'll be one in Jan- the third Thursday in January. It'll still be a Zoom meeting for the moment, but those will resume then in January. Um, the, if you're in there, the Democrats, uh, the Democratic group in Cottonwood, whose exact name slips my mind at the moment, has started to resume in-person meetings once a month at the Red Rooster Cafe, and there's information there that you just be, just started to pick that up again. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And uh, the uh, I think the party is meeting over in uh, in the Prescott area. Mm. Uh, next week, we're going to be having another sort of end-of-the-year talk, and we'll have uh, Mayor uh, Sandy Moriarty, we'll have uh, uh, Holly Plug and, uh, and um, Kathy Kinsella, um, the mayor, and two different... Um, uh, counselors on the show and we'll be talking about what happened in Sedona because as we were saying today all the kind of nastiness you see out there nationally also exists here you know um, Confucius used to say near is far, far is near and unfortunately in this case there is a lot of the negativity and stuff um, of course as a politician I guess you you expect people to come in and complain about you, right? Karen? Yeah, everybody elected office expects people to complain. So, you know, don't don't stop complaining and contacting. It's just the idea is we need to go back to the idea that people could do that civilly without threats and four-letter words and screaming. Well, we want to thank you folks for being with us. Check check in next week. And remember that all our um, programs are on vvid.org. 
been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.